This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This segment's all about personal bankruptcy. We're going we're gonna to find out how it actually works and then how to go ahead, take those first steps to claim bankruptcy from a licensed insolvency trustee. It's one of those words that's just jam-packed with a whole bunch of emotions, for me at least. It's kind of something that it would be fearful, I'd be afraid of the idea, and you just you know, like, oh my gosh, it just sounds so awful. And I love this segment, Blair, because you're going to explain how it works and how it's something that can actually help somebody in such a significant way. So let's start by talking about um, what it means to declare bankruptcy and how does one become eligible to do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really thrilled, Elaine, we're, we're uh, covering this topic today because bankruptcy is such an, as you said, an emotionally charged term. And there are so many misconceptions uh, about bankruptcy that really cause people to suffer with debt for longer than they have to, or think that there's no way out or think that, you know, a bankruptcy can't solve my situation because, you know, someone told me this and that about it. So we're going to dispel a bunch of myths today, but just starting at, you know, what is a bankruptcy? Well, bankruptcy is a legal remedy. It's available to anybody who owes more than a thousand dollars and is unable to pay those debts as they become due. So to file bankruptcy, you need to be insolvent, and that means either you've stopped paying your debts, you're just not able to make the payments anymore, or even if you are paying your debts, you're just so far in debt that even if you were to sell your assets, and most of the people who file bankruptcy don't have a whole lot of assets, they might have some furniture, some clothing, and you know maybe a vehicle, but you know if you had some real estate, if you were to sell that, it wouldn't be enough to pay off your debts, you'd be insolvent. So what happens when you file personal bankruptcy is you don't need permission from your creditors. You don't need to go in front of a court and ask for forgiveness or, you know, be hauled, you know, across the coals type of thing. You sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, you work out what the bankruptcy is going to look like for you. We're going to talk about those uh, defined steps of how the process goes. And then what's important is at the end of the bankruptcy, the whole point of you going through it is all of your debt gets discharged, which means left behind. You have no legal obligation to pay any debts once you went through a bankruptcy proceeding. So it's a financial fresh start. So sometimes people feel like, oh my God, bankruptcy is associated with debt. Um, you know, it's the end of my life. And I say it's the complete opposite. A bankruptcy is a rebirth. It's a chance to, you know, uh, click stop on all of the life that's been dragging you down, all of the debt before that point, and then to click start on a new life where you can start again unburdened by significant debt. Of course, a licensed insolvency trustee is the only person that can facilitate a bankruptcy in British Columbia. That's the first thing I want to make sure that we throw in there. And the second thing is, you're not alone in this process either. That's right, Elaine. So when I first became a trustee, I started to wonder, well, you know, at some point, are we going to run out of, of people to help? Is this a great career? And it's it's just, uh, I won't say, you know, in, insane, but it's the case that, you know, every year there's more and more people that really come forward and find they're just unable to pay their debts as they become due. Um, you know, the bankruptcy rate in Canada has increased year over year for as long as I've been a trustee. And that's since, you know, about 2008 now. Um, and even in the past year, um, you know, summer of 2020 over summer of 20. 
2019, uh, there were massive increases in the number of people uh, that were seeking the help of trustees compared to the year before. So you're absolutely not alone. There are a lot of folks who are finding themselves, you know, at the end of the proverbial rope when it comes to debt. Um, but again, what they need to take away is that there is hope. There's a reason why bankruptcy is enshrined in the law. It's to give people a chance to start over and not to be burdened by debt for the rest of your life, uh, where the benefit of that money spent on debt may have been long gone uh, or may have never existed in the first place. In some cases, people were taken advantage of. Um, to go into bankruptcy, you know, sometimes people think you've got to have poor credit. You've got to have stop making all of your payments. You know, the wolf has to be at the door. You're being sued in court. Uh, none of that is correct. It's actually the case that upwards of 70% of people that file a bankruptcy actually never missed a payment on their debt, but they just realize they've just been treading water. They're not making any headway. Um, they're not paying off the debts in any sort of a schedule that's, that's going to work for them. So they seek the services of a trustee on a voluntary basis. Excellent. And um, what's the eligibility margin for people? Like what, what kind of debt do you have to have in order to enter insolvency and declare bankruptcy? Well, the only minimum is that you have to owe more than $1,000, and that's a number that hasn't changed since about the Great Depression when these laws were originally written. Uh, most of the time, people <laughs> owe, you know, in the range of twenty dollars to $40,000 when they consider filing a bankruptcy, but I've seen people as low as, you know, a few thousand, you know, even $5,000. If that's insurmountable, if your income is quite low and the stress is really getting to you, you know, that's an option, and there's no upper limit. So in some cases, uh, people have businesses, the business fails, and they're held accountable for some guarantees of debt, so it could be in the millions of dollars if someone files for bankruptcy, uh, the administration would, would run typically the same. It's based on someone's income, not based on the amount of the debt. Okay. And I know a big concern for people is when they're looking at their situation and, and thinking about taking that next step to going into bankruptcy, that credit, their credit history, their credit in general is, mm -hmm. is often a huge concern. How does that work? Yeah, and that's something I'm so happy we're talking about because that's why a lot of people refrain from thinking about a bankruptcy because they think it's a life-altering impact. They will never get credit again. The actual fact is most people are a better credit risk after they've went through a bankruptcy than before because they don't have any debt. And it's not for the rest of their life people are going to know they went into bankruptcy. Once someone finishes a bankruptcy, which can be as soon as nine months in most cases, six years from that date, the bankruptcy falls off the credit report like it never happened. And most of the time, people, if they take the right, the right steps to rebuild their credit, within two to three years of a bankruptcy filing, even though it's still noted on the credit report, if they've paid everybody on time, they've managed to save some money, they could even qualify for mortgages, for car loans, for credit cards, all of that way sooner than the six years elapsing. So it's really not the case that it's, you know, a lifelong impact. There's definitely a bankruptcy going to take your credit rating basically to zero, but you can rebuild it quicker than you think. And coming out of a bankruptcy with no debt um, is often much quicker than having to hunker down if it was going to take you 20 years to pay off these debts. Well, yeah, your credit might be good for those 20 years, but are you in any better shape uh, making all of these payments? And the answer usually is no. The better answer is, is to take some short-term pain, uh, reset the debt clock, um, and then start to build up again. I'd like to mention, too, at this point, that if any of this information is resonating with you and you want to take some action, uh, clearly giving Sands & Associates a call, I'll give you going to give you their 1-800 number. It's 660-3030. That way you can get an appointment, find a location if that's something that you want to do. But of course, during these times, you're doing online online appointments. And, uh, and the other piece of that is, is that licensed insolvency trustee, they're the ones, the only ones in this country that can facilitate a bankruptcy for you. So it's really important that you go to somebody who's got history, knowledge, experience, and reputable, and Sands and Associates 
associates is uh, is the is the best choice there. Yeah, Elaine. So I, that's another great great point that you're making there. So obviously, you know, we we believe we do an excellent job at Sands and Associates, but you don't need to go hire a bankruptcy lawyer. A trustee's not going to ask you for a retainer. It's not going to be a fee for service as we go. Um, so I think maybe it's helpful if we go through some of the steps where someone actually files a bankruptcy. I think our listeners might be a bit surprised at how straightforward it can actually be. You know, not to minimize, this is a serious financial step for folks to take, but it's a step that's taken by almost a hundred thousand Canadians every year, and people do recover and come out better on the other side. Okay, let's talk about the first steps then, Blair. Where where do you begin? Well, as I often say, you know, the first step can be the hardest because you've got to reach out for help. So you've got to take a little bit of a leap of faith, put your trust um, in the trustee that you're reaching out to that, you know, they're going to know what they're doing and help you get through. And that's why, you know, we really encourage people to reach out to Sands and Associates because what we offer is a free consultation. So there's no obligation, um, no requirement that you proceed with anything. It's confidential and it's at no charge. So we sit down, we talk to you confidentially one-on-one to understand your entire financial situation and then to evaluate well, what's the suite of options that are available to you. So quite often people come in thinking that bankruptcy is the only option and we're able to look at them and say, well, no, if we were to fix the budget here or there, uh, if we were to consider a consumer proposal, maybe we can avoid this bankruptcy. But if it is the case that, you know, a bankruptcy is the right option, well, then we're going to take the time to explain to you exactly what's entailed in that, help you get all the documents together for filing and help you proceed with that file. So the first step is the initial meeting and guaranteed at that meeting, you're going to learn something new at least and you're probably going to leave there uh, with a very clear plan on what you can do to get out of debt. Now you mentioned documents and uh, I'm assuming that there's a number that need to be signed and for you to facilitate at that point. Yeah, so there's an application form that individuals fill out, and it's nothing I think that people wouldn't anticipate you'd have to disclose. So it's things like, well, what's your monthly budget? Um, you know, what money comes into the house and where does it go? Uh, what are your assets? What do you own? Uh, and who do you owe money to? So just a list of your creditors, approximately how much is owed. We assemble all of that information together, and then we prepare formal bankruptcy documents. Um, you sit down, you sign those documents with the trustee, and that starts the first day of the bankruptcy. So at that point, you've disclosed to your creditors, I filed for bankruptcy, here are my assets, here are my liabilities, and here's my budget. And then you don't deal anymore with your creditors. The trustee steps in the middle, and you've got a ceasefire, essentially. Nobody can call you, harass you, take you to court, or do anything against you to try to recover the debt. Um, all they can do is deal with the trustee over the period of the bankruptcy. Now, I like the fact that you've included this piece in this segment about there are some duties, though, that you need to Mm -hmm. fulfill as part of the bankruptcy filing in this country. Yeah, so it's not the case that you file for bankruptcy, you sign some documents, the next day you've got no debt, and gee, doesn't that sound great? Let's go do it again. No. Um, the case is bankruptcy is meant to be a kind of a financial rehabilitation. So when you're going through a bankruptcy, you are required to complete some duties. Uh, they basically come down to three big things. Uh, number one is you have to complete a monthly budget. So for every month you're in bankruptcy, you have to keep track of what was your income and what were the expenses, and then you provide a copy of that to the trustee. Um, so not, nothing too crazy there, and it's something that's generally a good financial habit is to do a monthly budget. Uh, the second thing is you have to attend two financial counseling sessions. So they're private one-on-one sessions um, done over the telephone, typically during the pandemic or over Zoom, but oftentimes done in person when we're able to reopen. Uh, they're great sessions talking about credit rebuilding, about getting that budget right, and trying to make sure the bankruptcy is a one-time thing in your life. Uh, the third thing is you just have to make some payments. So when you go into bankruptcy, you stop paying on your debts, uh, and the amount you have to pay back is determined by whether the government says that you're low income or not low income. 
So for 80% of people that file for bankruptcy, the government puts out uh, low-income guidelines, and they fall below them. So for a single person, if you're earning less than roughly $2,250 per month uh, after-tax take-home pay, if you file for bankruptcy, you're just required to pay the cost of the bankruptcy each month, which is $200 a month for nine months. So it could be 10000 a 100000 or even a million dollars of debt. Uh, if you're low income and you file for bankruptcy, you're going to pay $200 a month for nine months for a total of $1,800, and you get your financial fresh start at the end of those nine months. Excellent. Um, can we talk as we wrap up? We've just got less than a minute left about the indicators that your debt's getting out of control because they do look different for everyone. Everyone's a little different there. Yeah, a couple of the really key ones, um, you know, one is if you're getting a lot of collection calls or messages or texts, you know, things that really people trying to track you down for payment, that's a big one. You know, the most dominant one that we see these days is just being tracked and making only minimum payments, looking at your credit card statements and seeing you're not going to pay things off, you know, really in this lifetime sometimes. So if you're only making minimum payments, that's a big warning sign that, you know, your debt's getting out of control. Excellent. Really important one to keep in mind. Uh, check out their website, sands-trustee.com. It's filled with great information, questions and answers. Give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, and set up that appointment for a consultation. Uh, you're listening to Dollars and Cents. You're listening to Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Now, this is a great segment. If you've heard of consumer proposals before but don't quite know what it is, or maybe personal bankruptcy and what it looks like today. So there's a big difference between the two and how making a consumer proposal is different to filing for bankruptcy. And there's some key differences. Uh, so Blair, since some people might not be familiar with the consumer proposal or bankruptcy, can we just start with definitions uh, and a bit of a summary on both of the processes? Yeah, definitely, Elaine. I'm really excited for today's segment because we're going to try in our, in our 13 minutes to give a really good grounding of both of these options, compare and contrast where they're similar and they're different. And, you know, jumping right into it, uh, the idea of the ins and outs of each of these, of these debt remedies, you know, most people don't research these until they're confronted with a debt problem. So having this knowledge in the back of your mind, hopefully, Hopefully it's going to help you if you're facing it, but also can help you help somebody in your life that you care about who might also be facing a financial difficulty. Personal bankruptcy, in a nutshell, it's a federally legislated legal process. That's a, a mouthful, but essentially it means it's sanctioned by the law, and it allows you to eliminate your debts in the event that you're no longer able to meet your financial obligations. So in Canada, personal bankruptcy legislation can result in full forgiveness for virtually all of your debts and allows you to get a financial fresh start. So the wording in the law is it's a fresh, a fresh start for the honest but unfortunate debtor. If you've done your best but you've had some unfortunate things happen to you, bankruptcy is the remedy that allows you to get back to zero, start fresh, and begin to rebuild your finances. Uh, a consumer proposal uh, is still available through a licensed insolvency trustee. So the same person that would assist you with the bankruptcy can assist you with a consumer proposal. And it's a hugely popular alternative. In fact, two-thirds of people that come to see trustees in the province of BC typically opt to file a consumer proposal instead of a personal bankruptcy. And the way a consumer proposal works is it's similar to a debt consolidation where you make a single monthly payment um, over a set period of time. But the big difference with the debt consolidation is instead of having to pay back all 
borrow the money plus some interest on top of that, a consumer proposal can drastically reduce the amount of debt you have to repay. It still considers your debts paid in full, but you can often reduce up to 50, even up to 80% of the debt that you're charged. And there's never another dollar of interest charged um, as well as there's no additional fees for service on top of that. So if you owed someone $20,000, for example, you offered a proposal for 30% of that at $6,000, that's all you'd be required to pay. All the costs of administration would be born out of, say, a regular monthly payment of $100 a month over 60 months. And those are reasonable numbers that we see quite often at Sands and Associates. Uh, What's nice is that with a consumer proposal is it's flexible. So you could decide you want to do monthly payments. It could be a single lump sum payment. The payments could scale up and down. Uh, But it's a very powerful means of avoiding bankruptcy um, if, if you have the ability to make some repayments. And and what about your eligibility? How does that work for each of them? Yeah, eligibility is the same. Um, So you have to owe at least $1,000. And generally, nobody's filing bankruptcy or doing a proposal for $1,000. But people do it for, you know, five to $10,000. The average is probably in the range of thirty dollars to $50,000 or so these days. Uh, And for a consumer proposal, it's up to $250,000 at the debt level. And you can even do a proposal if you have higher debts than that. It's just a bit of a different legal legal remedy. Um, But with a bankruptcy, there's no constraints. You could do a bankruptcy for, you know, essentially an unlimited amount of debt. I've seen people, you know, in the millions of debt, if perhaps they had an ICBC accident where they weren't covered, or perhaps a corporate guarantee of some debts if a business failed and they were on the hook. But a bankruptcy, there's no constraint on the amount of the debt. A proposal, essentially, you're going to try to repay some portion of it. So if it's a huge amount of debt, trying to pay back, you know, 10% of a million dollar debt, that's very difficult to do compared to 10% of, you know, a $40,000 debt. Well, that's a whole lot easier to do. So you've just got to be, be clear. It's a, an affordable amount is essentially your constraint with a consumer proposal. And, and both ways uh, include pretty much all types of debt, right? Yeah, and that's a real surprise to a lot of folks because a lot of people I sit down with, they say, okay, I know you guys can help me with the credit cards, uh, but I know the government, my gosh, they're going to get their pound of flesh no matter what, you can't assist with that. And that's just completely incorrect. A trustee is the only person that can assist with government debt, like taxes, student loans, ICBC debt, so on and so forth. Uh, In general, a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal can include virtually all kinds of debt. Um, Your general consumer and business debts, you know, I mentioned your credit cards, lines of credit, overdrafts payday loans, even personal debts owing to an individual. Uh, We've talked about government debts, student loans. Um, So it really is just about all inclusive. There's a small number of debts that no matter the remedy, they can't be reduced. And these are the more common sense debts that you would think you probably shouldn't be able to reduce. So something like a child support obligation, um, something like an alimony amount that's awarded by court, um, or if you've been taken to court uh, for an assault charge and there's been a monetary award against you, and it's very specific things, um, that can't be discharged if you go in through bankruptcy or do a consumer proposal. But essentially, any debt that was honestly incurred, aside from, again, those support type of obligations, um, you can help, you can restructure and then discharge either in a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy proceeding. Such good information, Blair, and there's a lot of it. So I just want to mention to folks who are listening, going, oh, my gosh, I feel a bit overwhelmed by all of this. It's so easy to go to the website, sands-trustee.com, and it's filled with great questions and answers. Pretty much every question you may come up with, uh, there's going to be a good answer for you. Or if you want to go ahead and make that appointment and and sit down and talk with someone like Blair or Blair himself, 1-800-661-3030. And I just want to throw in, they have offices all over British Columbia.
So, Blair, let's get back to it. What are some of the other ways options differ when it comes to negotiation and overall repayment? Yeah, there's a very key difference between a bankruptcy and a proposal because in a bankruptcy, essentially, it's your decision, your decision alone. No creditors can reject your decision to file a bankruptcy. You don't need permission from anybody. You sit down with a trustee, you file the bankruptcy documents, and you're generally going to be entitled to 100% forgiveness uh, of all of your debts. Uh, now, where a consumer proposal works is a consumer proposal, there is an option for your creditors. Any proposal could be accepted or rejected, so your creditors do have a say on whether your proposal is going to succeed. And the way a proposal is, you know, essentially the, the idea behind it is it's meant to be a win-win. So the win to you is you avoid a bankruptcy filing altogether, because if anybody could avoid a bankruptcy, typically they're interested in at least investigating that. The win to your creditors is they receive more money back than if you had filed for bankruptcy. So when we file a consumer proposal, we show the creditors a page that has two columns on it. One is here's a hypothetical bankruptcy proceeding. This is the individual's option. They could file this tomorrow with no notice to you creditors until it's done. um, And you'll have to be forced to accept, you know, sometimes it's zero recovery, sometimes it's five or 10 cents on the dollar. Uh, We contrast that with a consumer proposal where we say the person doesn't want to go into bankruptcy and you creditor, I'm sure, would like to get back as much of the debt as possible. So how about we work together with the client and you receive, say, a 30% repayment of the debt over time? 95 out of 100 of our proposals are accepted right off the bat. Creditors agree with our first offer. The other 5%, sometimes there's some negotiations back and forth, but it's about 99% of the time proposals get accepted by creditors. And that sounds pretty high, I understand, but it's also the case not all of your creditors even have to agree to get a proposal accepted. So if you owe, say, five people money all of the same amount, um, all we need is a majority in dollar value say yes to the proposal. So if three of those individuals said yes, uh, the other two, even if they said there's no way on God's green earth will we accept, you know, writing off 80% of our debt, accepting 20% back, well, if the other creditors holding a majority of the debt have said yes to that proposal, it's legally binding, it's enforceable against everybody, nobody can opt out, even if it's the government that says they don't want this proposal, if your other debts outweigh the government and your other debts say yes, it's all acceptable, legally binding, and you've got the protection of doing that proposal. I know you've got some other examples on some of the differences in flexibility between bankruptcy and making a proposal. Do you want to talk briefly about those? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Elaine. There's just so many things that we could go uh, go down on. I, I think we definitely want to, want to focus on the things that are most important. So, you know, a stay of proceedings, um, that's a legal term, and that's applicable to both a personal bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. And what that means is you get protection. So a lot of people understand, you know, instinctively, if you file for bankruptcy, it means people have to leave you the heck alone. They have to stop calling you. They have to stop harassing you. There can be no court proceedings taken against you. That's the same protection you receive in a consumer proposal as in a personal bankruptcy. So it's not the case you need to go bankrupt to get protection. You can get the same protection when you file a consumer proposal. Uh, I think it's important for us to talk about monthly payments as well, uh, because there is quite a difference between how a personal bankruptcy and a consumer proposal are structured in terms of monthly payments. Uh, And the way a bankruptcy works is a bankruptcy is based on your household income. So most bankruptcies require you to just pay the cost of administration. So about 80% of the time, if someone files for bankruptcy, they're usually considered low income. And in that situation, they pay a minimum fee of $200 a month for nine months. And that's all they have to pay in total is $1,800. That's regardless of the amount of the debt. It could be $10,000, $100,000, or a million. The payments don't scale at all based on the amount of the debt. They just scale based on your monthly income. 
And that contrasts with the consumer proposal, where the payment is just what percentage can you afford to repay on the debt, and you can divide those payments over a maximum term of 60 months. So an example that, that we had reviewed before, Elaine, uh, is if you had a consumer proposal of debts of $40,000, a typical offer might be to give your creditors a 30% repayment, which is $12,600, and you could pay that at $350 a month over 36 months, or if you extended it out to 60 months, you could pay it for $210 a month, but your total amount is just the 30% of that total of $40,000, so your debts go from $40,000 to $12,600, and you get the time you need to make those reduced payments to pay off that reduced balance. How big a difference is it between the consumer proposal and bankruptcy for your time to complete each one? Well, a bankruptcy is typically going to be over a little bit more quickly. So, you know, a nine-month bankruptcy is about as quick as you could ever deal with a problem debt situation in Canada. Now, some proposals are over relatively quickly. If it's a lump sum proposal, let's say, you know, a third party, perhaps a family member or a friend wants to give you some money to pay off a reduced balance of your debt, well, a proposal might be over and done within the space of two or three months. But that's not the regular, uh, that's not the everyday, typically a consumer proposal. It's going to be payments over a period of usually two to four years, a maximum of five years, and it can be done as soon as you're able to pay it off. So a proposal is definitely more flexible in terms of the timing. Uh, A bankruptcy can be as short as nine months, but if you're not low income, a bankruptcy will run for a year longer than that, uh, which is 21 months in total. And if you filed a bankruptcy before, which sometimes about 15% of people that file one bankruptcy sometimes need to get that help again in the future, the bankruptcy term can last longer, can be a couple of years uh, as a base there as well. So the timing can differ quite a bit on each situation. Now, I was going to spend the last couple of seconds, Blair, giving you an opportunity to talk about why it's such a good idea to talk to a licensed insolvency trustee, but I'm you just really just gave us the best example ever by explaining all of the all of the differences and the and the pieces of of filing for bankruptcy or fi- or filing a consumer proposal. So well done. And I want to also mention to to go to the website sands-trustee.com if you've got more questions. Uh, it's just filled with such good, clear, easy to understand uh, answers for all of your questions. As well as I want to encourage you to give them a call at one eight hundred. 661-3030. Sands and Associates has offices all over British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com. We're talking about debt settlement agents, credit counselors, and trustees, and what's the difference. And the really interesting thing I think you'll find about this segment is debt settlement agents it's it's a new t- it's a new term for me to understand what it is and of course if you're considering getting professional help it's super crucial uh, for you to be able to make a fully informed decision about the organization or individual that you choose to work with before moving ahead so blair can you talk to us and why this is such an important topic for listeners to really listen to Certainly, Elaine. So I'm really excited to talk about this topic today because, you know, one of the things that I'm passionate about is really leveling the playing field uh, when it comes to debt help services. And for most people, they never expect to face a debt problem. So they usually haven't spent a whole lot of time to understand, you know, who's who, what's the lay of land, who can you trust and not. Um, And sometimes it can seem like a pretty uneven playing field where the person that you're seeking for help, they have all the knowledge, uh, you have very little knowledge. um, So you really do need a little bit of a grounding to understand 
well, what's the question? What are the questions you should ask? What's some general ideas about how the industry is structured? Who's going to have the authority, the expertise, the legal power, even the trustworthiness to really help you with, with what could be one of the most difficult problems you may face in your life being in debt? Uh, you know, a lot of the time you can engage services other than a licensed insolvency trustee, but it really is a buyer beware caution. You've really got to be careful about the services you're actually getting and make sure your expectations are going to be met. Okay. So can you start with some of the basics when it comes to working with what you've called a debt repayment agent? Yeah, so we did a ton of research for for this uh, segment just to make sure we have all the terminology correct, because even as a trustee, things do change quite a bit, and we try to keep up to date. Now, a debt repayment agent or a debt settlement agency, you may hear those terms interchangeably, uh, those are individuals or companies who offer to represent you uh, with your creditors, and they charge a fee for that. So they say they might get in the middle between you and your debts and try to negotiate, make some repayment arrangements, and even sometimes administer payments directly to your creditors. Uh, sometimes credit counseling agencies also provide this role, uh, but usually it's a standalone firm. And what a debt repayment or a debt settlement agent would do is they're going to negotiate with the people you owe money to and offer them a lump sum of money, usually less than what you owe, to settle your debts in full. And if the creditor agrees to that offer, then you provide that lump sum to your debt repayment agent, uh, who then will pay the creditor directly. Okay, well, it sounds pretty good, but there's obviously some big challenges that you need to be aware of. Yeah, you know, three big ones here. Uh, One is that it's an informal process and your creditors don't have to negotiate with the agent. So a lot of creditors simply won't deal with a debt settlement company or even a credit counselor working on your behalf. Anything to do with government debt is just a non-starter. And even outside of the big banks, a lot of firms just really won't won't work with an independent debt settlement agent. Now, the second thing to continue to consider here is if you had a lump sum of cash ready to pay off your debts, you might not be reaching out for debt help. So a lot of the time, you know, people don't have that lump sum and the debt settlement agent might say, okay, well, you know, we can get a 50% reduction, but do you have the 50% ready tomorrow? And your answer is no, that's going to take me, you know, six months or a year to save up. The debt settlement agent say, okay, well, you know, we'll wait. But during that time, your debts are going unpaid, interest is being added, you're being harassed, maybe you're even being taken to court. And that actually dovetails to the third item here, which is you've got no protection from your creditors when you're dealing with a debt settlement agent. So sometimes your agent will tell you, stop making the payments to creditors, we're going to communicate on your behalf. But that can aggravate or cause your situation to become worse, especially if your creditors escalate to legal action against you, which your debt settlement agent would have no ability to stop whatsoever. Now, is a debt settlement agent under uh, licensing? Are there fees involved? How does that work for them? Yeah, so it is a little bit of, of a more more murky area than not, but there is some clarity based on licensing. It's a number of years ago, I believe it was in 2016, uh, BC created this role in their consumer protection legislation and said that anyone who's defined as a debt repayment agent, they charge a fees to act for you or represent you with your creditors, they have to be licensed with Consumer Protection BC. Now, it's important to understand, you know, just being licensed doesn't mean that that's a regulated industry. It doesn't mean the government has approved this service or even that it's legally sanctioned. Uh, It just means that, you know, essentially they've gotten the license from Consumer Protection BC. And what Consumer Protection BC requires that in any debt repayment contract, there's a specific statement that says that the services of this agent are not provided on behalf or in affiliation with the province of BC or Consumer Protection and that using the services of a debt repayment 
payment agent will not necessarily improve your credit rating, deter the efforts of a creditor to collect the debt, or prevent legal action to recover the debt, including garnishment of your wages. So part of the advantage of having these agents licensed is they have to be really clear with these disclosures that you know they may not be able to achieve what they're promising, and you're going to see that directly in any contracts that you sign. Uh, but now okay. there's also some guidelines around maximum fees and disbursements that you can be charged. And this was another benefit of having some regulation. Uh, if your debt repayment agent actually negotiates a settlement to your creditors and you make a repayment in a plan that lasts for 90 days or more, the fees you're going to pay are 15% of the gross amount to be received. So a 15% commission before it goes to your creditors and then a one-time charge up to the average amount of the monthly payment that you're making. So, you know, that can be significant depending on the amount of your debt. So you need to understand, you know, nothing's being provided for free and the fees can be up to 15% um, of what's being being reduced. Can you elaborate more on that, Blair? Well, what happened in 2016 uh, is there were changes to Consumer Protection Act in BC and it required that BC-based companies were licensed and it required that they stop charging upfront fees. So again, those fees that I talked about, that can only be charged once a deal is actually reached. But it's still far from being a regulated industry because there's no prohibition on non-BC-based companies from targeting BC consumers with their services and promises. Um, And there's nothing to prevent organizations who do act as your debt settlement or debt repayment agency for charging you for other services, sometimes consulting, referral fees, credit rebuilding fees, whether they're licensed in BC or not. It's only the debt settlement aspect of their business that has the fee restrictions around it. Okay. Um, So can we move on then? Just we've just got about a minute or so, two minutes left in this segment. Do you want to explain the difference between the debt repayment agent and the credit counselor? Yeah, certainly. So I think it's another uh, very important area for listeners to understand is around credit counselors, that it's not a government licensed profession or a regulated industry. Essentially, anybody can call themselves a credit counselor. They're not legally required to have any specialized education or training. And there are some accreditations for credit counselors, but they're self-regulated accreditations. So, you know, it's essentially the industry regulating itself. Um, Credit counseling, it's a term that can describe a number of different health services, but essentially the main product is what's called a debt management plan. Um, We're going to talk about a debt management plan in a little bit more detail, but that's where you put all of your debt together, you stop the interest, and you get about five years to pay off that balance. But you need to also understand credit counselors often play a dual role, and they often act as collection agents. Even in the province of Ontario, every credit counselor is required to register as a collection agent because essentially they are working on behalf of the lenders to try to get as much money back as possible. Uh, How it usually works is with a credit counselor's debt management plan, they're going to contact your creditors, try to negotiate an informal arrangement where you consolidate all your debts into a monthly repayment plan. They may agree to stop charging ongoing interest, which, you know, that's the main benefit. uh, But normally you're still going to repay 100% of the debt plus some counselor fees on top of it. Um, It's not a legally sanctioned solution. And again, as we talked about government debt, um, there's really no ability to deal with any government income taxes, student loans, or any other types of debts like that. Okay, well, and in finishing off this segment, um, 
in part two of this, we're going to talk about credit counseling further and some key differences between the informal plans and the legal consolidation with a consumer proposal and working with a licensed insolvency trustee. If you want to get a hold of Sands & Associates, very easy to do. Uh, their phone number, 1-800-661-3030, or visit their website, sands-trustee.com. This is part two of uh, uh, just a two-parter that we're doing on debt settlement agents, credit counselors, and trustees, and talking about what the difference is. So if you're considering getting uh, professional debt help, it's really important to make a fully informed decision before moving ahead. So in the first part, Blair Manton talked about uh, just ways for us to better understand debt settlement agencies and plans that credit counselors offer, as well as that fine print that consumers should be aware of. So in this segment, we're going to talk about how credit counseling debt management plans work and when such a plan might be suitable as a debt solution. Thanks, Blair. Oh, my pleasure, Elaine. Again, happy to continue on with with this segment. So we're going to talk more today about how credit counselors, whether for profit or non-for-profit, what service they actually provide. And essentially what they're going to do is they're going to contact your creditors and try to negotiate an informal arrangement. I say informal because it's not legally sanctioned. It's based on everybody agreeing to participate, but an informal arrangement where you consolidate your debts or your eligible debts at least uh, into a monthly payment plan. So because credit counseling is an informal consolidation plan, you normally don't reduce your debt at all, uh, but your eligible creditors are likely going to agree to stop charging you ongoing interest. So in general, the big banks in Canada, if you're working with a credit counselor, they'll agree to freeze your interest, uh, but you have to agree that you're going to repay 100% of the debt outstanding uh, over a period of up to five years. And there's typically some fees on top of that, whether for-profit or not-for-profit organizations, there typically is a fee that you pay in addition to paying back 100% of your debt. Uh, that's different than a debt settlement agent, which we spoke about in the first segment, where they're attempting to negotiate a one-time payment with a lump sum settlement to settle the debt once and for all, where a credit counselor, typically they're doing a debt management plan, doesn't require you to have the lump sum of money saved. You just start making the payments uh, over up to a five-year period. Now, again, as we spoke in the first segment, so just very quickly, anybody can call themselves a credit counselor. So you really do need to investigate closely uh, who you're dealing with. Um, And you need to be really lasered in on the idea that these are voluntary uh, offers with your creditors. Creditors can opt out at any point. um, And a lot of common debts can't be negotiated or consolidated through informal plans. So any amount owing to a government uh, or ICBC or student loans, they're just not going to be able to be dealt with at all in a credit counseling or in uh, in a debt settlement agency plan. So it really is the case of buyer beware when you're dealing with either the credit counseling debt management way or uh, the other one. Exactly, Elaine. It's what you don't know can hurt you. So really take a careful look at the agency or the organization and also know that the government of Canada has posted some pretty, uh, I would say, pointed consumer alerts aimed at both debt, debt settlement companies and credit counselors. And just reading uh, an excerpt, uh, government of Canada is putting in their alerts, some companies offering to help pay off debt or repair credit are misleading consumers. We're going to talk about some of those what they tend to mislead upon, but definitely take that uh, to heart and be aware 
some credit counseling agencies may promote a debt management plan over other options because they make money from creditors by getting a percentage of the debt that they recover. And that's essentially my big challenge uh, with someone who goes to see a credit counselor first. They often don't get a fair assessment of their options because if the credit counselor is very well informed and understands, well, this person could probably easily do a consumer proposal, the credit counselor does the right thing by the client, but they do the wrong thing for their own business because they don't make any funds on that if they refer somebody elsewhere. So the government has seen that happening on a widespread basis and really put out a very, again, pointed consumer alert. Uh, other things to consider is you need to look at, does the company have any standing with a provincial or a national association? You know, At a minimum, are they registered with Consumer Protection BC? And you can check all of that online easily. Uh, anyone you're going to work with to get advice on paying back your debts, you want to confirm what sort of training, what credentials do they have, and understand there is no base level of training or credentials that any credit counselor must have in Canada. There's various accreditations, but they're all self-monitored, um, self-adjudicated, nothing like what a licensed insolvency trustee must go through. And be very careful about advertising that might imply some claims of quickly improving your credit score or being affiliated with some government program. The only government program to to help you release your debts are accessible through a licensed insolvency trustee, either a personal bankruptcy uh, or a consumer proposal. And then finally, just be really clear about any fees. Are you going to pay a consultation fee or a referral fee? Um, you know, what's this going to cost you at the end of the day? So, and I just want to throw in here too, if you want, um, just if you've got more questions, check out uh, Sands and Associates website. It's so good. It's sands-trustee.com. And they've got pages of really good questions and really easy to understand answers uh, for any questions that you've got. Or if you want to go ahead and set up that first appointment or talk to somebody, 1-800-661-3030 is the number. So um, do you want to go over the, the list of what a credit counseling debt management plan uh, may work for folks? Yeah, I think let's do that, Elaine. And then let's talk about you know, you know how a trustee can help and maybe some misconceptions people have in the last few minutes of the segment here. So sure. in terms of when a credit counseling plan can work, there's definitely situations where a credit counselor may be uh, you know, a very good person to help a client. If you've got a relatively small amount of debt, so, you know, under 10000 or perhaps even under 5000 or very high income compared to your debt load, you know you can afford uh, to repay 100% of your debt uh, plus the fees for service. So you're going to be able to make those monthly payments without issue. Or if you just have very basic unsecured debts like a credit card, a line of credit, it's things through the big bank, you know, it's a relatively small problem, you're able to solve it on your own. For just about every client that I've seen where they've started to work with a credit counselor on a debt management plan, it's been pretty clear for me and to the client from the start that this was not an affordable solution. This was a monthly payment that maybe they could make for a few months, but at the expense of, you know, actually living and putting themselves into hardship. And when we were actually able to file a consumer proposal, for example, we were able to save them just a ton of money and give them a much better quality of life. Excellent. Okay, we've got two and a half minutes left, Blair. Let's talk mm -hmm. about the common misconceptions that people have about licensed insolvency trustees. Uh, you, you've mentioned it a couple of times, um, but we, you and I both know there's lots of people who've never heard that term before and what a consumer proposal is. So can we talk about some of the, the misconceptions about it? 
Yeah, yeah. Three, let's hit off the top relatively quickly is who does an LIT work for? So if you start to do some research, you may find some debt repayment agents or even credit counselors will be saying, you know, don't go to an LIT. They work for your creditors. That's completely false. An LIT is an independent officer of the court. We don't accept any money from banks, lenders or other creditors, which is completely the opposite of a credit counselor, for example, who generally the lion's share of their funding um, is commissions from creditors on the debt that they're able to get paid back. So an LIT is your best ally and independent person when you're in the eye of the storm to help you figure out your way forward. Uh, A second misconception people have is if they come to see a trustee, it's a matter of public record. Well, nothing to do with our consultations is ever public. And if somebody does do a filing, whether it's a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, theoretically, someone could search a government database to find that. But you have to register for that database. You have to pay $8 every time you search. It's generally you're not going to have your family, your friends, your neighbors typically know about an insolvency proceeding. Um, And finally, just in terms of fees, all fees for debt help services through a licensed insolvency trustee are set by the government, and there's no upfront fee for service. So anytime you're going to start a proposal or a bankruptcy, the trustee's going to sit down, work out what you can afford, but it's going to cost you nothing until you're actually executing on a debt repayment plan that you can actually afford that works in your budget that the trustee can sign off with you because they believe there's a great likelihood of success. Yeah, that's excellent. And we've got about 40 seconds left. I just think it's so important that, that, and maybe you can repeat it again in such a, in a different way the, about the fee structure, because a licensed mm-hmm. insolvency trustees, you have to make money, you have to survive, but you do it so differently than the other organizations do. Yeah, I think it is worth reiterating. So in terms of fees, if you're doing a consumer proposal, whatever you're able to repay on your debts, if it's 30% of the total, that's all you pay. The trustee gets paid out of those amounts. Uh, If you need to file for a personal bankruptcy, you stop paying all of your other debts. And for most bankruptcies in Canada, they run for nine months. You pay $200 for each of those nine months and you're discharged from however much debt you might have been in. So it's nothing up front and it's generally nothing beyond what you can afford to repay on the debts. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.